0: Well, good morning, Shades Mountain. It is a joy to be with you today. Thank you so much for this opportunity uh, to be back with you after 15 years. And wow, the changes that have come about in this church in so many different ways, uh, even physically, as I walked from uh, that end of the building to this one, I could not find any of the places I used to hide from Dr. Carter when he would get uh, (laughs) upset with me. And uh, what a beautiful facility God's given you, and I will tell you, uh, I think that God's given you one of the finest pastors in all the world, Danny Wood. Uh, You need to know that he is one of those guys that is respected by his peers uh, in, in every way. And so, Danny, I pray God's continued blessings on you, and thank you for the honor and for the confidence of asking me back after that last whatever we did that uh, particular night. Uh, there's no greater event in the life of a church than a global impact conference. Because I think you realize, folks, that this week you have been rubbing elbows with the people that I believe are the real heroes of the faith. Uh, they don't pastor large mega churches. They are not uh, well-known beyond certain circles, but I will tell you they are well-known in heaven. And uh, God is using these missionaries around the world today. And so I consider it an honor uh, to be in their presence. Uh, I want to speak to you today on the subject of building more compassionate hearts. How can you build a more compassionate heart? Uh, a few days ago, I read an article that was going, being passed around on the internet titled five regrets of the dying. And it was about people who were nearing their death and they realized that their dreams for life were not being fulfilled and some of them, not even half their dreams had been fulfilled and so they were being interviewed. And here were the top five regrets of people. Number one, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life that others expected of me. Number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And that was really the primary breadwinner of the family, those were dads who were looking back saying, you know, all those hours at the office, all those things that I did investing my life, if I had it to do all over again, I would put more of my life into relationships, into my children especially. Number three, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Because some people are nearing the end of their life and they have just suppressed everything that, that really should have been said. Over time. Number four, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. Now, I'm assuming that these people do not know about Facebook or have not used Facebook because it's a little easier to do that today. Uh, and then the last one, I wish I'd let myself be happier. People who got into patterns of living. And so the whole subject was on regrets. Well, there are certain regrets in life that fall into the category of what might be called. If only I had known it was you, I would have said something differently or I would have behaved differently. For example, imagine that you're a single person here today and your friend says to you, Hey, I want you to trust me. I want you to go out on this blind date with this girl I know. She's beautiful. She has a terrific personality. But you've been kind of burned in the past and so you just said no thanks. And sometime later, you meet her and she turns out to be a supermodel. And you think to yourself, if only I had known it was you. Think you might have some regrets? Now, how many of you are married like I am, and you would say, I have no regrets because I married someone far more attractive than a supermodel. Uh, just raise your hands, and you don't want to think about this, okay? You need to get it up pretty quickly. <laughs> One author wrote of the time when Mark Twain was returning from a very successful mission. A fishing trip in Maine, even though the season for fishing was closed there. And on the train ride home, he began to brag about a very large catch of fish to the only person who was in the club car with him, who was not responding with great enthusiasm. And so finally, Mark Twain asked him, By the way, who are you? And this guy said, Well, I'm the game warden, or a game warden for the state of Maine. Who are you? And he said, Well, to be perfectly truthful, warden, I'm the biggest liar in the United States. And I would have never said that if I'd known it was you. But I have to tell you, I think that the ultimate regret story along the lines, as we think about regret, is one that Jesus told. And it's a little unusual passage, I will confess to you, for a global impact conference. But I think you'll you'll be able to tie things together. If you would, look in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. Beginning in verse 31, let's do what the scripture says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. And notice the next three words all the nations, all the nations will be gathered before him. What a statement! All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something uh, to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous are going to answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in, in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I'll tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Now I want to ask you a question. Can you imagine carrying that much regret into eternity? You did nothing. Now before you jump to any false conclusion, Jesus is not saying in this story that you earn your way into heaven by doing good deeds. But he is saying that the ultimate test of a transformed life is a compassionate heart. One more time. The ultimate test of a transformed life is a compassionate compassionate heart. It's much akin to what John said, if anyone does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen, They cannot love God whom they have not seen. And if anyone says they love God, but they do not love their brother or sister, well, they're a liar. And I'll tell you the most sobering part of this story that Jesus tells, at least to me. He did not say to the goats, you oppressed the least of these. He didn't say you robbed them, that you engaged in acts of violence against them. He didn't say you did a lot of bad things. He said, you just did nothing. You just looked away. And you decided that maybe having the bigger house or the nicer car was worth working for, but helping people was never on your agenda. You missed those opportunities that I was constantly placing before you. You did nothing. Now, I'm going to make an assumption this morning because we're in this church, this great church with a great heritage, that every one of us would like for our heart to be more compassionate. But frankly, when you think about that, you think, how can I grow a more compassionate heart? I'm going to unpack one thought for you today. And I need to credit this thought. It came from a man that, frankly, I don't, I don't agree with a whole lot theologically. His name is Jim Wallace. But he wrote a book years ago that did impact my life called Faith Works. And in this book, he gives a kind of starting point for people who want to build compassionate hearts. And here's the phrase that he offers. In order to build a more compassionate heart, you have to get out of the house. In order to build a more compassionate heart, you've got to get out of the house. Here's the idea. We all tend to live in a little slice of the world where we feel very comfortable but when we make an intentional deliberate willful purposeful choice to get out of our house something happens in our hearts i can tell you it happened in my heart many years ago i was a pastor for 10 years before i ever got involved in any way in international missions. I thought, you know, our church gives, what else should we be doing? And I just had some friends who kept saying, hey, you need to go. And I would always go to the pragmatic side and say, well, what if I go? What am I going to do over there? And they said, well, you may not have to do anything, but you need to go. And what I discovered was on that first journey, when I went out thinking I was going to touch the world, the world touched me. <laughs> Something happened in my heart. And here's, here's some things at least I think happens when we get out of our house. Number one, we see the world like Jesus sees the world. Our culture has a way of dividing people up who are different from each other. We go to school, we shop, we work, we go to church, we play with other people who for the most part are just like us. There's all kind of subtle barriers that culture puts in in between people who are different in, 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 in many ways. And as, as long as I don't get out of the house... People who live in other conditions, people who are different from me, different language, different accent, different skin color, different economic conditions, they're just not on my radar screen. And because they're not on my radar screen, they're not in my mind or they're not in my heart. And it's not that I'm doing anything bad to those people. I'm just not doing anything. I'm just ignoring them. But when you get out of the house and you begin to walk intentionally in their world, Something happens. And I will tell you, usually what transforms a person's heart and helps them become a more compassionate person, uh, it's not from a great talk, a good book. It's not a documentary or a moving film. It's a real-life experience that grips your heart, seizes your vision, immerses you into the life of another real person. But for that to happen, you have to get out of the house. And I have a very deep conviction that if you will do this, if you will intentionally traffic outside your normal world, if you know to serve and pray for a real person, your heart is going to be touched. You're going to find your heart expanding in compassion and extension of service through Christ. God will just do that. That's the way he works within us. It will come from inside you. And on the other hand, I have to tell you that if you choose to live a life where you never traffic outside what's comfortable for you, your attention will simply be devoted to your stuff. And over time, your heart will get smaller and and colder and less compassionate. And I think the day is coming when you will face a mountain of regret, not so much for the wrong things that you did, but for the wonderful things that you did not do. You know, when I was here at Shades Mountain for the first time, I was a, I was a guy in my 20s. I could not have foreseen the future And how my life would be impacted by this church and by the pastor of this church and what God would would do in my life. And now here I am about to turn 65 years old. I've ministered in 30 countries across the globe. I've got a daughter from Ukraine that is the apple of my eye. I have a granddaughter from Ethiopia that's... You can't tell the Ukrainian, but the Ethiopian is way up here right now with me. I've just seen God do some things that I could have never imagined in my own life. I don't think so much about facing Jesus with all the bad things I've done, but here's what I do. I do sometimes get concerned about facing Jesus and thinking about the wonderful things that I didn't do. Some of the opportunities that I missed along the way. So when you get out of the house, you're going to see the world, I think, like Jesus sees the world. Number two, you're going to see people that God loves and Jesus died for. I'm going to tell you Something just happens when you get out of the house. In, in this book that I mentioned, uh, Faith Works by Jim Wallace, he tells a, a story, and I'm going I'm to read you exactly what he wrote. There's no way to retell this with the accuracy and inflection. But he tells a story about a lawyer whose name was Dale who was into big deals, seven figures, uh, income, helped negotiate all kinds of major building contracts in the city of Miami, but one day, Dell made an intentional decision to get out of the house, and it changed his life. Uh, he started working at the Good News Soup Kitchen in Tallahassee, and here's his testimony. I showed up every day in my three-piece suit to help from 11 to 1.30 p.m. They assigned me the door duty. My job was to make sure street people lining up to eat waited in an orderly fashion. And every day I stood at the door for an hour chatting with the street people waiting to eat. Before I came to good news, street people was a meaningless term. It defined a group without defining anybody in particular from the comfort of my car, my home, and my law office. Street people were just those out there somewhere and then one day an elderly woman named Helen came running to the good good news door a man was chasing her and threatening to kill her if she didn't give him back his dollar tell him he can't hit me because this is church property she pleaded in true lawyerly fashion I explained that good news is not actually a church but that he still couldn't hit her And after 20 minutes of failed mediation, I bought peace by giving them both a dollar. And that evening, I happened to be standing on the corner of Park and Monroe, and in the red twilight, I spied a lonely silhouette struggling in my direction from Tennessee Street. A poor street person, I thought, as the figure inched closer. I was about to turn my back on, on my concerns when I detected something familiar in that shadowy figure. The red scarf, the clear plastic bag with white borders, the mismatched shoes. My God, I said in my thoughts, that's Helen. My eyes froze on her as she limped by and turned up park. No doubt she'd crawl under a bush to spend the night. And my mind had always dismissed the sight of a street person in seconds. And I could not expel the picture of Helen that night as I I was there. In all of my comfort, I couldn't sleep. And a voice kept asking, where's Helen sleeping tonight? No street person had ever interfered with my sleep. But the shadowy figure with the red scarf and the plastic bag and the mismatched shoes had followed me home. And I made a fatal mistake. I learned her name. That's what happens when you get out of the house. When people groups across the world are no longer just people groups. But they're people that you know and love. People that you have spent time with. And once you learn somebody's name, you're never quite the same. Why? Because you understand that that face of somebody made in the image of God, that is someone that God loves and that Jesus died for. And now you've got personal contact with them. Mother Teresa used to send members of her community to a home for the dying. And she wrote of a young woman from a well-to-do family who spent three hours caring for a dying man brought in from the streets, whose body was covered with maggots. And Mother Teresa said to this young woman, you be very careful, you be very loving as you touch him, for that is Jesus in this distressing disguise. That's what happens when you get out of the house. You're going to find Jesus in some very distressing disguises. And that's why I believe we have to be utterly committed to building a community of men and women who extend themselves. This has been an exciting week for me. On Friday of this week, I sat in a security briefing with Open Doors Ministry and met a young filmmaker here in the States by the name of Joseph, whose father was a pastor in Iran and was taken from their home. And Joseph began to relate that story to, to all of us who were there and, and said, after one day, after two days, after three days, we thought, he's going to reappear, something's going to happen. But after 11 days, he realized things were going to be different. And ultimately, just to tell you the story that on the 12th day, Joseph was called by the authorities taken to the moor where he saw his pastor father who had been stabbed twenty six times in the heart and chest because of one reason and that was his faith in Jesus Christ on Saturday evening I had the joy of being with my friend Yuri Yakolov from Ukraine. Yuri was a former Authority with the Russian KGB that in 1996 I found myself walking through a park carrying a trunk of toys. A Southern Baptist pastor on one end and a former KGB guy on the other. He became the facilitator in our adoption and helped us. And then through another mutual friend, we began a ministry called Hope House International. This week, more than 650 people gathered in a ballroom in Nashville, Tennessee, and once again committed large sums of money to build homes for families who would take in orphans in the Ukraine. And we, if they will take in two or three children, we will give them a house. We will build them a house. And the wonderful thing about that ministry is to date we've placed about 400 orphans which is the equivalent of eight orphanages over there, we have placed those children in homes of Christians. And to our understanding now, more than 95% of those children have trusted Christ as a result of this one man's faith and belief and in walking in Ukraine like he has done. I can tell you about my ministry partner, We'll call him Pastor T.K. His name is Tawao Elasani. And how for the past 10 years we have trekked together in about nine different countries on the continent of Africa training pastors. And it's nothing to see a hundred or more bicycles piled up out in front of a church where pastors will ride their bicycles for miles in the bush to come and spend one day for someone to help them understand how to do a better job in ministering in those small churches where they love and serve Jesus. I'll tell you, once you learn somebody's name, folks, it, it'll mess you up. <laughs> I can't watch the evening news any longer without saying, okay, this has just happened in the world, and I've got friends there, and I'm on the phone, and... I wish I could tell you that it was intentional on my part. I wish I could tell you I was smart enough, wise enough to plan this. It didn't happen like that. But it just through one of those first-time trips, God began to do something that helped me to see. You need to see the world like I see the world. You, you need to see people like I see people. A third thing that happens when, when you do something like this, when you have this kind of experience, it, it shows you how strong the tug of the world is in your life. Mom and Dad, let me say to you, get your kids involved in missions early. The earlier, the better. I know every one of us have a desire for our kids to do better than we did. And we think in terms of the best education and the best jobs and the priciest mortgages and all that go with it. Listen, do your kid a favor and help them to build a compassionate heart. Because we live in a culture, in a society. Every community has their version of the Galleria. And you know, there's something about walking in that place that just just says, hey, you need this, you need this, you need this. You ever gone into a mall for one thing and you come out with several things? That frankly, you didn't need. I mean, not need. The first time I brought TK to the States and he spent time with me, I said, hey, TK, I've got to run by my storage unit and and check on something. He said, "Uh, Pastor Rick, What what is a storage unit? And I said, well, that's that's where we have all of our extra stuff. Foreign concept. And you see, we live in that world where we are constantly being bombarded, and people are telling us, here's what you need. We need to take our little hearts to some places that will cause them to say other things like I need to care more about people. I need to weep over the suffering and injustice that I see. I need to give. I've got to go serve. I've got to give my life to something bigger than just my own comfort and success. And I promise you, listen very carefully now. I promise you at the end of your life, you will not regret one act of compassion. You won't. But you might regret passing up the opportunities that God's placed before you. And the last thing I want to say to you about this whole thing of getting out of the house uh, you get a better understanding of what God has done for us. You see, we fully don't understand this story that Jesus tells until I understand this too, but I too am one of the least of these. This is not a story about big, strong, clever, adequate, bright people, helping, weak, helpless, grateful, dependent people. And if you go into compassion ministry of any kind with that kind of romanticized picture, you're going to be, you're going to be quickly disappointed. I believe that the greatest poverty of all is the poverty of the human spirit, the poverty of compassion. And that can coexist with a real big bank account and a high functioning title. We can achieve everything that we set our mind to do and accomplish all of our goals. But if our heart, if our heart gets small, we stand that chance of living with so much regret. I believe that one day Jesus looked out of the portals of heaven he saw all the needs, he saw all the sinfulness, he saw all the brokenness, he saw all the hunger, he saw all the poverty, he saw all there ever was to see in this world in which we live, and he said, Father, i got to get out of the house. i got to go do something about this. And aren't you thankful that there was a day in heaven where Jesus said, I'm going to get out of the house. I'm leaving all of this, and I'm going to that. The scripture says, and this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. Hey, on your uh, pew this morning where you're seated. There are a stack of cards and envelopes on the, on the end. If you'd reach over there right now and just grab that and pass that down. It says on the top of the card, my, my financial faith commitment for global missions. And there's a place for your name, address, email, other information you may want to share. But over on the right-hand side, here's what it says. And there are three little boxes. And I'm going to ask you to check those boxes that apply to you this morning. Where it says, I'm going to share Jesus. And you write the name or the initials of someone where the prayer team of the church can be praying with you and for you. As you you share Christ with them. Or secondly, I'm going to be praying for my unchurched friend. And for our church's evangelistic and mission activities. And guys, that's something we can all do. We can become that army of prayer. And then thirdly, supporting our Make Jesus Known offering, here is the total of my gift for 2016. And I'm going to lead us in a moment of prayer, and then I'm going to ask you, I'm sure you've talked about this as a family, you've known this was coming, you're praying about it, I'm going to ask you to make your commitment known. Now I know sometimes guys, especially in days like we live today, uh, you look at the world and you say, how in the world are we ever going to make a difference with all the stuff that's going on? There's a story I've told so many times and I'm sure If you've been in church for a while, you've heard it, but it it bears telling once again, and it's absolutely true. A story of a young man and an old old man standing on a beach together after a tropical storm where hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of starfish had been swept onto the beach by turbulent waters. And this little boy is picking up these starfish, and he's running them back to the water as fast as he can, trying to save as many as possible, and and the older man who had had grown to be quite cynical, he said, do you really think you're going to make a difference with all of these fish? And the little kid just looked at the one in his hand, he said, well, I don't know, but I really do believe I'm making a difference for this one right now. We change the world one life at a time and you're sharing your faith, you're coming together in prayer, you giving to all of these missionaries, and you stop and think about that, you're giving in an offering where your gifts are going literally around the world. And who knows? There may be some kid... Reached in a village. Who will come to Christ. Who will find his way into a church. Who one day in his 20's may become a youth pastor in some great church. And he may wake up as an older man. Surprised as anybody could be surprised. That God used his life. To influence others for the kingdom. You make a difference. One life at a time. Let's pray together. Our Father, I thank you for this opportunity of being in this great church this morning. This is a church that has touched the world. It touched my life. It was a part of my spiritual formation. And even in those days, I I was not able to fully drink in and to realize and recognize all that you were going to do in me and the privilege that would be extended to me in becoming an ambassador for Jesus. And we find ourselves here this morning in the midst of these wonderful missionaries from across the globe. And we admire them, we love and respect them. Our hearts have been touched by them. Some of our lives have been changed by their very presence and interaction with them this week. And now, Lord, we have an opportunity. Once again, this church has a great, great opportunity to go and tell the good news To pray for those who are telling it on a daily basis. And to give and support so others may hear. And I pray that we will understand the words of Jesus. It is one thing to talk about our love for Christ and how our life has been transformed by Him. But quite honestly, the validity of that is is proven by our actions and what we do. And I pray that there would not be a one of us who would walk away from this place today with any regret. Help us to do our best for you, for your kingdom, trusting the power of the Spirit to bring men and women to faith in Jesus. And we ask our prayer in Christ's name. And everybody said?